have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. I've had my uh, drive paved, and uh, the, it seemed like it didn't bond, and I thought that you'd be the one to call and ask uh, what I should do about it now before I have it paved again. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor, and now Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. But more often than not, when we see something not bonding, it's uh, an issue in the preparation. Either it was too cool when it was laid, or the preparation wasn't quite right for it to bond like it should. But what you're describing to me is something that I don't see very often, just having a driveway come up in large clumps. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour with Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. A house is what you build. A home is what you make it. Every weekend at this time, Ken's available to take your calls at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Or possibly you've got a home improvement project you've got a little bit of question or concern about. That's the reason Ken Patterson is here. He brings his over 30 years of experience to the radio and the internet to help you deal with your projects this weekend again our contact number is 1-800-614-2975 and normally ken is right across from me in the studio but this weekend he's on the road down in florida to start this hour i have beverly with me and she is visiting actually from virginia she's down here i guess like some of the other people enjoying the uh, sunshine and the 77 degrees today beverly you've got a question for us I do. I have a question regarding a handicap ramp. Uh, we have a back door that we're interested in possibly putting into a, a handicap ramp, um, and we're not sure how to figure it out, how to, to go about figuring out the measurements on it. Um, from the ground up to the threshold is 24 inches, and we could go out as far as 70 feet, 5 feet to the, uh, to the property line. So how do we go about figuring out how wide we need it, how long, and we don't want concrete, we want wood. Okay. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, handicap ramps are becoming pretty popular around the country these days. As we age, we find it a little more difficult to climb the steps and get in and out of our homes, but we want to stay there. The typical ADA which is code, which is Americans with Disability Act, calls for a slope no greater than 1 in 12, which means that for every 12 inches out horizontally, you can rise, raise that 1 inch. So if you have 24 inches, you need 24 feet of ramp. Now, if you're being technical according to the building code, and I don't have it in front of me, but I believe if your ramp were to exceed 25 feet, you would have to introduce a 5-foot level landing. And I think it's every 25. It may be every 30 feet. But since you have a 24-inch vertical difference between grade and your threshold, you're looking at a ramp that is 24 feet in length. Now, as far as width goes, the minimum is going to be 32 inches in terms of clear, open space. And a lot of people will have a door that is 32 inches, but that's not clear space because they forget about the door stops on each side of the jam that can take out anywhere from a half inch to as much as an inch of that clear opening. So that means you're going to have to go to a little wider door if you're going to be technically correct under the ADA code. That works well for wheelchairs, for folks on walkers. That's a a very easy grade. And frankly, for many people that don't have climbing issues, if you have the opportunity to install a ramp, you'll find it's a whole lot easier just bringing groceries and other things, furniture, in and out of your home if you can design it so it functions for you. Anything else? Uh, yes, just one other question, and this is kind of totally different. Um, we have a toilet 
that sings, <laughs> or whistles, I should say, it just it constantly makes this high-pitched noise. And I guess it's air or something in the pipe. And how do you get rid of that? Well, the first thing I have to say is you're quite lucky. Not everyone has a, uh, a toilet or, that sings or talks to you in there. You, most people would probably pay extra for something like that. But I've experienced that before, and at least in the cases where I've had to deal with it, on projects, it's the water coming through the device within the toilet. Now, there are different types of fill devices that are in there, and you may find that there is an adjustment. You may also find that it, there's an, something that has clogged the small line, and this is usually about an eighth of an inch line. It could be some trash, some sand, granules that are treated, so they're great to drink. They give you, I guess, a, a little roughage, but... Uh, it could be sand or some rock particles that's in there that's creating this high-pitched sound that you're getting out of it. Turn the water off at the bottom of the tank that feeds the toilet. Drain that tank by flushing it. You're always going to have a little bit of water in the bottom of it, bottom, but then you can remove the fill pipe itself or the water hose, the little plastic hose that goes to it, and see if that's not blocked in some fashion. But that's what I have found in the past, not unlike most of us turning on our our faucets occasionally, and finding that we're not getting the normal stream of water out, only to clean, I hope we clean, the filter or the screen that's in there, and you'll find some granules of sand or small aggregate that's there that is distorting the way that water comes out or maybe restricts it altogether. So give that a try. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us, Beverly. All right. I guess uh, we're ready for another question here. And... Um, this person didn't get all his questions answered a while ago, so Sean is coming back uh, to warm the chair one more time. And if you remember, Sean is joining us from Delaware. Yes, hi, Ken. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, I have a question. Some coworkers of mine just bought a historic home in uh, the Dover area, and they're looking at making some energy upgrades. It's my understanding they actually don't have their home insulated at all. The previous owners made some, some nice interior upgrades. But they, the new owners, want to make some make it energy efficient. It's my understanding they don't have central air. They have air conditioning units on a lot of the windows, so their electric bill is about five hundred dollars a month in the summertime. Is there some way that they can insulate their home, even though I think they just have lath and plaster, and then the exterior wall? I'm not sure they even have drywall with with exterior uh, insulation. Well, for $500 a month for a summer cooling bill, and Jim probably just fell out of his chair over that one, um, there are so many things you can do that's almost instant in terms of the payback. And, and certainly if you're in a home or anyone out there is listening that has a home with no insulation in it, the first thing you want to do is look at insulation, attic insulation. And if you're on a crawl space, then that crawl insulation is the quickest and the easiest to do and the biggest bang for the buck with instant return. More of our heat gain comes through our roof than any other area in the home. The windows certainly contribute, the walls contribute, but in the summertime, it's not as much through the floor space. So my first recommendation is that they bring some insulating contractors out and obtain some competitive bids and look at our value uh, that they can get into that space, depending on how much headroom they have, and put insulation in that attic. That will be number one. They'll get an instant payback on that, or they'll start saving money right away. Again, the crawl space would be number two. Then they want to take a look certainly at the wall area. This is a little more difficult because of the type of construction, but there are companies out there that can deal with it on a retrofit basis, both foam as well as a blown-in type of insulation. Your local insulating contractors are going to be able to deal with that. But $500 a month, that is a lot of money. I would expect with just the attic insulation, and this is just me. I don't have any science behind it. This is based on experience. 
they would probably save easy $200 a month in the summertime with attic insulation alone. And then you start looking at this. But for all of you that have no insulation in your home, you want to look at a way to make it more energy efficient and uh, do things so that you're not paying the power company. Instead, you're enjoying your home a little better. Take that back to them. I hope that helps them. Yes, they will. I have one follow-up question on that. If they don't have any insulation in their walls, is it worth it at all for them to upgrade from the original windows to, like, you know, a double-paned, heat-insulated window? Yeah, the, the you can end up putting replacement windows in, and that's what you're asking about, I assume. But I don't think that's going to give you the biggest bang for the buck. That's the reason I was saying start with the attic insulation first. Replacement windows are always available. They can be done at any time, and you can shop around those, but it will help. Okay. Thank you very much. We appreciate the questions. And don't forget, if you uh, want to reach Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, this or any weekend, you can. You can dial 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And this weekend, Ken is on location. He is in Florida, but still here taking your calls. Again, our contact number is 800-614-2975. Don't forget, when you log on to our website, KenTheContractor.com, there's a whole lot of very helpful information there. Check out Ken's Toolbox. It has a lot of the topics that we talk about uh, with some degree of regularity on the show, including roofs, basements, windows, plumbing, siding, and much more, all at one place on the web. That's KenTheContractor.com. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come back with more. Our phone lines are open. 800-614-2975 is the number. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken Patterson. Ken, the contractor, is taking your calls. 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. We've got Jim on the line who joins us with a question right now. Hi, Jim. You're on the air with Ken, the contractor. Okay, thanks. <clears throat> Ken, I would considering uh, or I'd like to change my present tub and shower into a walk-in shower type of thing, because, primarily because of safety. And what do I need to be on the lookout for, or is that a reasonable thing to do? Or are there any local people that do that? There are a number of companies in your listing area that will convert, um, for not just for you but for others that would want to do the opposite, a tub into a shower or a shower into a tub, uh, a combination of those. Uh, Rebath is a... a company that is around at least the east coast you could check with them they are franchise operations also local plumbing contractors will provide that particular service and i find when i go into an area that i really don't have a lot of background in that i will check with local plumbing wholesale houses or distributors of products in my region because they're going to give me people that do the job right for a competitive price and pay their bills so suppliers, wholesale houses can be a great source, not only for plumbing, but electrical and all other items in our homes. But to deal with your question, first, is the current opening 60 inches in width, do you know? You mean the doorway yes. into the bath? Yes. I mean, the, uh, are you talking the, the bath or the, the shower itself or just the doorway or all of those? No, I would, well, I'll have to take the... Uh, 
the present tub and chair would have to come out. Right. And uh, no, the doorway is not sixteen. No, the the, the doorway itself <clears> wouldn't <throat> be. But as far as the shower, I wanted to be sure this was not a, a, a sort of a unique shower where you only had a door into it. This is a standard oh, tub shower, no. our tub right. shower unit. So it should be sixty inches or five feet in length. Yeah. And is uh-huh. do you do you have tile surrounds or is this a fiberglass one piece unit? It's fiberglass. Okay. So if it's not in pieces, you'll have to get it out in pieces. This is not something a lot of homeowners want to fool with themselves, but the opening will be fine. The plumbing that you have in place, both the the supply for your hot and cold water as well as your drain can be reused. Now, a standard tub has the drain at the end. If you were to put a a shower in place, custom building that, especially with a tile floor, you're typically going to place the drain in the center. And I assume you have a standard tub with the drain in one end, normally under the, right. the, the fill yeah. location. Okay. What I would be looking at is a, a four-piece unit, one being a base that has the slope built into it, meaning that it's high on the back end just like your tub is, and it drain towards, drains towards the front, the drain side, so that you don't have to tear the floor out, whether it's wood or concrete, and relocate the waistline. Secondly, with that, there will be wall panels that fit on each end as well as the back side or the, the, the long side, the five-foot side, that will snap in place and they will caulk. Uh, they are designed to not leak. They do a wonderful job. These bases can also be purchased so that they are handicap accessible. Typically, you may have three, four inches to step up, but if you or others are looking to put a wheelchair in or a walker or you can't manage that step, the base itself will be designed with a lower profile. Now, you've got to be a little more cautious about the volume of water that's in there and that the drain stays open. But, yes, these are available to you. This is, there's a huge market out there today for retrofit, changing tubs to showers. And even in new home construction, we are seeing the bathtub disappear. More and more people are asking for just a shower unit. So you're really a trendsetter thinking about it. But for all of us as we age, it can be partly about health issues or just our mobility. And uh, it's very doable, but get yourself several prices from different folks. It's not the kind of thing I recommend the, the average homeowner try and tackle on their own. No, I wouldn't want to <laughs> tackle that myself. You know, one reason, just w- one word of caution, one reason I mention that, too, is because a, a tub-shower fiberglass unit is typically installed before the drywall goes up, which means there's a flange behind it. So in taking this out, if it's done properly, you may not have any drywall repair. But if you get in there and just start yanking this thing apart, you're going to be tearing the drywall and perhaps corner bead loose that goes up along the vertical edges as well as around the top. And that creates even more maintenance and more repairs for you. So pros that do this every day can deal with it without uh, being disruptive to the surrounding area. And it may save you a little money in the long run. Well, are you familiar with this premier operation? With, 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 uh, with the company that I mentioned, with Rebath? Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah, and you'll, you'll also, Rebath is pretty popular. You'll find them at a lot of home shows up and down the East Coast. You can find them online. They have several competitors as well. So shop around, but there are a number of companies that are into retrofit, uh, and I think they can do the job you're looking for. Just don't spend any more money than you need to, and be sure they come out and look at your particular situation. Don't just take a price over the phone. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you a lot, Ken. We appreciate your call. If you've got a question for Ken Patterson, Ken the contractor, you can join us. Number to dial is 
no, excuse me, 1-800-614-2975. That's 1-800-614-2975. That's the number to dial if you have a question for Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Ken, we talked a little bit earlier this summer during the height of the summer vacation season that if you are traveling, don't be surprised when you check into that hotel. You may not find a bathtub, but probably will find some type of shower unit. We're seeing that in more cases with the newer hotels that are out there. Even the older ones that have gone through or in the process of a remodel or a retrofit, they're dumping the tubs in favor of a shower. And we've discussed this before. Based on national surveys, that is the trend from coast to coast. People are not using tubs. They don't have time. They fly in. They're in their room. They're on business. They're on vacation. They take a shower and they exit. So the trend that, that we're seeing, again, in the commercial world is get away from tubs. And good or bad, we're seeing that in the housing market as well. I know one of the big motivators is what Jim was talking about, safety issues for folks. They're looking for more safety and more security in their own bathrooms because that's the scene of a lot of falls, unfortunately, particularly for older folks. It is. And if you're doing a retrofit, you want to be certain that if you're not installing uh, grab bars, and it's not all about being physically disabled, it's really about safety, you want to at least be sure that you have the blocking in place behind the walls to support these bars at a later date if you decide to come back and add them. Ken Patterson is here this weekend to take your calls. Have a question about your home inside or out? You can reach Ken at this number. It's 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. You can also post your questions at our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about the end of an era, and that is the changing light bulbs. If you haven't changed your light bulbs yet, you're going to have to do it soon. The government's telling you to. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. You can reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. If you've got a question about your home, inside or out. Michael's got one of those questions. He joins us right now. Hi, Michael. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hi. Thanks for uh, having me on. We appreciate your call. Uh, Yeah. uh, My situation is such that I have a 25-year-old slate patio that has uh, taken a turn for the worst, and the the slate is coming up. Uh, Underneath this patio is a uh, concrete pad, Uh, and this area is about 120 square feet, but it's up right next to my house, and it also has a poured carport that butts up against it. So I need to try to keep the the levels even, and I'm curious if uh, I'd like to consider stamped and colored concrete. Do I have to take up the pad, the concrete pad that the slate is on, in order to have the new concrete poured and, and pressed or stamped, however they pour it, call it? No, you really don't. The slate okay. now, the slate has to be removed in total, and yeah. it sounds like okay. uh, nature is helping you in that regard. It, it, so it'll, the sl- it'll be an easy job. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, the slate should be pretty easy for you to remove. What you'll be looking at, though, with the stamped concrete is going to be a topping as opposed to actually having it stamped in the concrete structure, the slab itself. Those are becoming quite common, especially throughout the listing area. You will find, though, that the price of that is going to be about the same or slightly more than if you had a brand-new slab. 
And I just want to mention oh, okay. that, you know, not in your case, because if you have a structurally sound slab, I would still leave it. You're saving the demolition money, and you're not disturbing surrounding area, your landscaping, grass, or the abutting carport. But I'm saying that for others who are listening as well, that a topping is not less costly. You know, it's not cheaper than just stamping the concrete in most cases if you're pouring it new. But for retrofit, what you'd want to do is have all that slate completely removed, take a scraper, probably not even a grinder required, and then remove all of the loose mortar that will still adhere to that concrete once you pull the slate up. This is not something that typically an individual needs to be doing, a homeowner. The companies that install these toppings, if you want it to bond properly, you want the color to look good, you want the pattern right, you need to deal with a licensed concrete applicator. They are trained and certified by the companies that manufacture these products. So not everybody can put them down. But there are a number of people in the listing areas that uh, will are licensed applicators that will provide you with different textures, different colors, and different patterns and provide you with a long-term warranty on that. One of the pluses for that, and I've had some installed at my office building here uh, recently, is that in the wintertime when you're putting salt down, it doesn't react with the salt. It just looks good, summer, winter, spring, and fall. And I think you'll put this down one time, uh, whatever you select as a topping, and should be very happy with it. Very good. That's what I'm hoping. Well, thank you very much. Shop around. Thanks for calling. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate your call. And Ken, I know you got someone there with you who has also another concrete-related question. Yeah, we want to tie these together because this deals with a topping, and this is Annalisa. Hi, Ken. Uh, my mother it, has a concrete driveway. She lives in Tampa, Florida, and it's lost its smooth surface, and the little rocks underneath are showing up. And then she says she has three large cracks, and she wants to know if a concrete finisher could come and put a new top on it. She'd like paver stones, but the HOA just doesn't want them to do that. Well, concrete, whether you're in Florida or you're in Pennsylvania, New York, or Virginia, concrete always poses a few problems for us, and we have a lot of questions that, that deal with this. But when you're not dealing with a, a freeze-thaw environment, and certainly that's not the case in central Florida, this is more about where. And the problem in Florida, having done a lot of building in the Deep South, has to do with temperature and wind when concrete is placed. If there's too much water added to it, if it sets up too quickly, uh, if it was not floated properly, there's going to be very little cement or slurry actually over the aggregate. And over time, it will still wear and it will spall. Companies such as Quickcrete, and I have a segment on my website, KenTheContractor.com, where you can go to an interview with Quickcrete. They'll talk to you about specific products that are made for driveways. These are even user-friendly to the point that many homeowners can install this themselves but it is a coating that goes over the existing concrete slab. It's available in any color you want as long as it's concrete gray because that's the only way they make it. But it bonds to the concrete if you've prepped it properly. It's going to take, I think, a 3,500 PSI pressure washer to remove all the loose and scaling material. Um, And even with it wet, this needs to be applied. So you don't want it bone dry, but you want to have some moisture in the concrete. This material is applied um, and you allow it to set up, and you can put traffic back on it. I believe it's 24 to 48 hours, and it should do extremely well, especially in the deep south environment where you're not again, dealing with that snow and ice situation. This works also for those of you that are living in a, a cold winter environment very well also. This is really what it was designed for. So what I'm telling you, it has been proven to work in all temperature situations. Now, as far as the cracks go, water is our real enemy to any concrete, and if we get water underneath the concrete, even in a non-freezing environment, 
what happens gradually is the sand in a Florida area, because most of it is sandy soil, will settle some more, or it may actually wash out from under the concrete and create, can create a void. That, in turn, weakens the slab, and it will break in other places at a later date. So if you have cracks in the concrete slab, again, I'm going to go back to Quickcrete because they make over 200 products for concrete repairs and for maintenance and new construction, but there are competitors out there as well. But they are products made to caulk. Essentially, it's a caulk or seal joints that we have in concrete, and it will eliminate that water from getting in. In every case, if you see these things, once they have developed, don't let them sit for six months or for six years. Take action on it, and you'll preserve that concrete drive because it's not going to be inexpensive to take that out and replace it. Very good. I, I've got time here. I don't know if you've got uh, Ken Terry's email handy, but it sure. dealt with driveways since we're dealing with those types of things. Gravel driveway edge liner. What's uh, Terry's question? Well, many people have asphalt drives out there in the world today. And uh, you know when asphalt is installed that it doesn't leave a very smooth edge. And what she's asking said that they uh, have a gravel, in this case it's gravel, but gravel or asphalt, and this, uh, she says, uh, the gravel encroaches into the grass and the grass encroaches into the gravel drive, what would you suggest as possible materials to line the edge of the driveway to prevent this from happening? With asphalt and gravel, there's nothing wrong with having a pressure-treated member line either side of it, and a lot of people do that in both cases. If you're doing it with asphalt, it needs to occur when the asphalt material is going down. For stone, you can do that after the fact, and you're simply going to dig this into the ground. It may be a 2 by 4 up on edge. Not horizontal, but you're looking at the inch and a half because it's not really two by four or inch and five eighths. Pressure treated, turned up on edge with stakes on the backside driven into the ground, and you only want to see the top of this. So you want it flush with your stone, and the grass will grow on the outside of it, and it will have a good smooth edge, even to the point that you can put an edger on it if you like that sharp edge that you would have at, at concrete uh, where the grass meets it when you go through with an edger. So I think this would take care of uh, Terry's situation. And for all of you, again, that have stone, this is a good way for a nice, neat look. There's also steel edging, galvanized steel edging available uh, in the marketplace. Much more costly, but it takes up less space and width. So you do have some options. The plastic stuff really doesn't last long, and it doesn't work very well in my book. Terry, thank you for your email. Don't forget, if you do want to email Ken a question, you can. Go to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. You can leave an email question, a voicemail question, and, of course, you can reach Ken anytime at our contact number. That number is 1-800-614-2975. That's 1-800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. You can reach the program at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Let's go to South Carolina, and Christelle joins us right now with a question. Hi, Christelle. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hey, good afternoon. Hi there. I had um, a quick question, actually. Um, I previously had a roof leak, and... Is there anything that I can put on the ceiling to try to cover up the stain, or do I just need to repaint the ceiling, or is there something that can kind of penetrate or whatever um, to take care of that? Well, first, it's good that you've recognized you have a roof leak, and that's, for most people, if they don't go outside and spend any time on the roof or around the house, and that's almost all of us, 
Uh, it's difficult to know until you see signs on the inside. But most of these will show up on drywall as a, a brown spot. It may start out the size of a dime, and it's going to get larger based on that roof leak. As long as the roof leak has been resolved, and you want to be certain that it's been resolved before you spend time and money on the repairs on the inside, you want to come back and cover that drywall surface, at least the stain area, with a number of stain killing or covering products. Now, one brand that is so common in this country is called Kills, K-I-L-Z. If you use an ordinary latex paint over a stain in drywall, whether it's ballpoint pen or whether it's a water stain that has come through, it's going to bleed through again. Kills is designed to do just what it sounds like. It kills that stain. It hides that stain, but it's to be treated, or you want to use it really as a primer, meaning that once you apply it, you want to come back after it dries thoroughly and go over it with the normal sealing paint that you have for that home, or for you or others that would have water coming down a wall somewhere than with the wall paint. Kills is not intended to be a finished product per se, but it is uniquely designed to cover stains. And for all of you with children out there that find crayon mark you can't get out, magic mark or ballpoint pen, and you've gone over the paint on the wall with regular latex and it just doesn't hide, it bleeds back through a few hours later, this is a product for you. You need a stain sealer to go over that. That'll do the job for you. All right. Well, that helps. I actually have something else I wanted to ask Ben about that. Okay. Um, I, someone checked our roof and um, said that there wasn't a leak, um, but or we had you know a contractor come out and said that we didn't have didn't have a leak. But um, I keep seeing little spots here and there. But it seems to be along the ridge of our house. So do I do I have a leak or is something else going on? I mean, obviously there is because there's there's brown spots, but. Well, has it continued? You know, it's, not, it's not growing every time it rains. Okay, that was the question then. If it's not increasing and you've had somebody up there, if they've made some repairs, a lot of times houses with vent ridge on them, these are the metal uh, ridge caps that run along most homes that vent hot air out of that attic space. As those age, the joints on them will start to leak, or even in blowing rain, that rain can be driven so hard that it will get up into the vents and it will work its way down to the drywall surface. If you've had a roofer or a contractor up there and they've checked it and everything is sound, then I'd go ahead and make that repair. But if you're seeing this repeatedly, rain after rain, be damp, or you're seeing this spot increase from time to time, then you still have an active roof leak. Okay. All right. Well, that helps. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for the call. And uh, here with me live now, I've got Dan, and Dan's got a question for us as well. I had a question about, uh, uh, I'm thinking drywall. I had a question about hardwood floors. We have kind of some sort of uh, vinyl floor covering in our house now. I don't know exactly what it is, but I'd like to replace that and go to a hardwood floor. But since we have just a pad foundation, does that complicate it? Does that mean we have an extra step? No, I assume you're describing perhaps a sheet vinyl that's a wood grain pattern. Mm-hmm. Okay. A couple of options. If you're looking to put a, a natural hardwood floor down, the floating floors that are out there today could, actually, could go right over the top of the sheet vinyl that you have in place. They would not have to be removed. Now, these floors are floating because they expand and contract, and they usually sit over some type of a foam, uh, a vapor barrier as well, and they don't, go, they don't fit tightly wall to wall. They go up against the base, or they stay back about a half inch, and then there's shoe mold that runs around them. 
but these floors interlock in some cases, so they're not nailed and they're not glued to the floor, again, to the substrate. That's the reason they're called a floating floor. That's what I recommend for folks that are on concrete slab that want a natural hardwood look. They're very durable. You can end up with a natural wood product, or you can end up with a laminate that still gives you that look and is extremely durable. Now, if I do that, does that help my home value a little bit? You'll never get back dollar for dollar when it comes time for sale, based on what we've experienced here at least in the last year or two, but you are going to get added value. Hardwood floors, depending on what part of the country you're in, and I, I know you're from Virginia, but they tend to add value to homes. But if you spend $2,000, you're not likely to get the full 2000 back. But you need to look at it this way. What enjoyment are we getting out of it in the meantime? That's it. All right, so for all of you that are in that situation, uh, you have options. You don't have to have a wood substrate in order to end up with a hardwood floor. All right, let's, uh, we've got a couple of minutes left. Let's talk uh, quickly about uh, light bulbs. We talked about that, and we're going we're gonna to talk more about this, Ken, in the coming weeks because uh, this really takes effect, which is the end of the incandescent light bulb at the end of the calendar year of 2011. But there's a real good question here that we got from one of our listeners, and that is with the changes in the light bulbs, do I have to replace some lighting fixtures, let's say uh, some types of lighting elements that are built into walls, ceiling fixtures, or are all these new light bulbs going to fit into the existing structures? Well, effective the end of this year, the 100-watt incandescent light bulb that's been around for about 130 years disappears. So if you're really um, hung up on that, you might want to rush out and buy one or two. But the whole idea behind this is to drive us to more energy-efficient light bulbs to save uh, power in our home and to eliminate the need for additional energy or power plants in this nation. As far as the fixtures go, and I've talked about this briefly before, I have some reservations because I've experienced this myself with some of the replacement bulbs in the market fitting all light fixtures. They may not fit properly in wall sconces and give you the same lumens or foot candles uh, that the current incandescent bulb does. So before you go down and spend uh, $3, $5, $12, some are as high as $35, before you spend that kind of money, you want to be certain, one, that either you can return the bulb if it doesn't fit, or two, that you've already checked the size to be sure that with the globe in place, whether it's ceiling mount or wall mount, that this particular replacement lamp is going to work. Common items in the market are going to be LEDs, the CFL, which are compact fluorescents. They've been around for a while. And then the halogen incandescent. And, again, the prices are going to be a good deal more to begin with. They're already on the market, some of these, and uh, than what we're accustomed to. But I can say, if you have been around long enough, that I'm watching the prices drop. And we're going to talk more about that in detail on another show. And we're also going to post this information on KenTheContractor.com. Right. And uh, I think one of the big issues that, that people are going to see is some of these bulbs are a dramatic improvement. I know we put one in one of our uh, exterior lights on one of the front door lights. Big change, big difference. Notice that right away. Uh, but I know some folks have, have made a comment about the fact that it just doesn't seem to be as bright, particularly initially when you turn it on. Well, we're into a second generation on the CFLs. Uh, the compact fluorescence, and that's where a lot of this comes from. But secondly, when you turn those on, it's not the instant full brightness. In most cases, it takes just a moment or two for them to come to full brightness. So give it a few seconds, and you should be there. It's not unlike fluorescent lights that you might have in a, an office light or a kitchen light. And we will address the issue of cost because that's one of the big issues, the sticker shock that people are going to see uh, coming up as they do buy these bulbs. They can be far more costly. One of the questions we'll deal with on an upcoming program 
is there a reason why you should go out and buy some of those real high-end bulbs? We'll talk about that on an upcoming edition of the program. Don't forget, if you have a question for Ken Patterson, Ken the contractor, you can reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the contractor.